Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, lousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Kelvins, and things to episode 52 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, what are those? Those are the Muppets and Star Trek, and we do one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest Roy Clark and the original series episode by any other name. Mm, would it smell as sweet? Yes. And before we, we do that, yeah. Jarman, do we have any feedback? We sure do. We have a uh, lovely Jeremy Yude on Twitter says, I've gone down a Muppet podcast wormhole, thanks Muppeturgy, and discovered Muppet Trek, and oh my stars, my nerd heart has never been happier. So thank you so much, Jeremy Yude, for being a new listener, and thank you to Muppeturgy, which is also another podcast. It's a Muppet Show rewatch podcast called Muppeturgy, so we gotta check that out. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Okay. They got a pretty cool little Twitter set up, so I wanna see how their show is. We listen to a couple episodes, compare it to our episodes of the same episodes. <laughs> and then have some sort of battle. Yes, to the finish, there You're can be only one. down, Muppeturgy. <laughs> or going up with us, who knows? There you go. So thanks, Jeremy Yude. And tell us about our guest star this week, Roy Clark, Steve. Well, Roy Clark, boy howdy, American singer, songwriter, and country music legend. Notable for being the host of the now iconic Hee Haw. Oh, I didn't know. From 69 to 71. (laughs) And he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2009. Mm -hmm. What does our audience know him from? You've heard his music somewhere. And if you're a fan of country music, he is considered one of the godfathers of the genre. I knew I'd heard that name before, but it didn't ring a bell. And then uh, Hee Haw rings a bell for sure. So Hee Haw definitely rings a bell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but what was he up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, Kermit comes out, introduces Roy Clark, and preps the audience to head to the country, which Fozzie takes a little bit too seriously. We open up with Rocky Top, where uh, Roy accompanies himself not only on vocals, but on multiple instruments. It's very, very impressive. Oh, yeah. Next, we join the Swedish chef's kitchen where he's preparing a large batch of dough, which gets away from him and ultimately attacks him. (laughs) Following this, we get pigs in space where the swine truck is stalled. Uh, Dr. Julius Strangepork has fixed it. They start pulling levers and then falling through the floor. And then as they pull levers to bring each other back, other Muppets come into the scene. (laughs) Yep. It's, It's real funny. Afterwards, we get Roy on stage singing Yesterday When I Was Young with Muppy. Uh, I believe it's Muppy the dog. And it's just a beautiful, simple number where he really gets to show off. Oh, yeah. Those pipes. Uh, Up next, we get a group of firemen, oddly enough, singing I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire as Fozzie frantically runs around the stage surrounded by smoke. (laughs) We then get uh, now more rare talk spot. Oh, yeah. With with Roy remarks how he feels really at home here on The Muppet Show due to the fact that he grew up on the farm and a bunch of farm animals come out and then he makes reference to eating all of them. Uh, after this, we take a visit to at the dance where we get a bunch of follow on farming and barnyard animal jokes. A lot of puns. Gonzo then comes out to do his act, riding a motorized pogo stick, which bounces around so crazily. It breaks a hole in the stage. Kermit comes out. <laughs> they turn the lights off for some reason. <laughs> Kermit falls to the hole in the stage, but thankfully he falls on Gonzo who breaks his fall. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Roy comes out and performs his closing number. Sally was a good old girl with uh, in a barn with Zoot and a bunch of others. 
That's a nice upbeat number to finish out the show. Backstage this week, Fozzie accidentally gave the stagehands the day off because he thought they were heading to the country, literally. So Kermit makes him run the show. Everything's going fine until the theater catches on fire. For some reason. (laughs) Fozzie struggles to hide the fact from Kermit. And and even when firemen show up, they think they're there to perform. (laughs) Kermit falls through the hole in the floor. uh, And then the show ends with Kermit admonishing Fozzie, who says, you wouldn't hit me in front of a guest, would you? Roy Clark comes out to bail him out just in time, (laughs) showing off a smoking hot fiddle. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Hell yeah. The German, what did you think of Roy Clark on this week's episode of The Muppet Show? Well, once again, a guest who surprises me because I'd never heard of him before besides reasonably hurting of his name before. But uh, a nice upper middle episode for me because he was so charming and sweet. Um, my girlfriend was watching this and said, he has really kind eyes. And I was like, yeah, he does. Um, and he just was really good with the Muppets, very comfortable. Um and he was also very talented. I mean, I'm not a huge country western fan, but I like country western better than country or pop country music. So that old mm-hmm. old timey music with a lot of guitar and a lot of you know, there's a lot of rock and blues elements in it. And he just could play all these different instruments. It was really and the hilarious that part crazy. where he brings out a trumpet. Like he can play the trumpet too, and he starts playing it awfully because <laughs> he can't play the trumpet. <laughs> that was a really good joke. Um, and just a that was outstanding. What you mean I should be outstanding in a field with my trumpet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the, to cap it off, what they do the Brady Bunch effect of him playing all the instruments, and then when he walks off the stage. He has each one of his clones walking off the stage following him. I'm like, that was a great effect because they walked behind Kermit <laughs> seamlessly. And I was like, that's really oh, cool. Yeah. So I don't know how they did that back then. It was impressive. Um, but yeah. And then we also get a lot of our classics coming back, like Swedish Chef and the Pigs in Space. And the we get a talk spot in there, which is yeah. sort of a relic from season one that we barely saw at all in season two. Which I think is should be a standard because it's like it gets a time to sit down with the guests and kind of talk to them with Kermit. Um, and that really felt good. And it looked like he wasn't embarrassed to be there with the Muppets. And, you know, here's looking at you, Chris Christopherson, who looked embarrassed to be on the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, and we get I don't want to set the world on fire, which I'm sure you'll talk about. But we know from the Fallout series, it's one of the most famous songs from that game now. Uh, yeah, that's where it's iconic from, certainly. Yeah. So I'm sure you'll talk more about that later. But what do you think of the episode? Um, I think this is maybe one of the strongest musical episodes. There was not a bad musical number in it. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, and even, uh, surprising, like, uh, yesterday when I was young was like so heartfelt and heartbreaking that even though it was slow and often slow songs really kill the show, mm-hmm. it was great. And the fact that they incorporated like a man and his dog, you know, and it was Muppy, it was like a Muppet dog and it's just, you know, a country singer and his dog hanging out, singing a sad song, you know, it's kind about, of felt- about, you know, uh, time passing yesterday <laughs> when I was young, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then you're right. You throw in staples like the talk spot and a quick Swedish chef's kitchen and Muppet track. And at the dance, this is a very complete episode in a lot of ways. And, and it yeah. had a very strong backstage. Plot. I was just going to say that on top of all those things, they still had a strong backstage plot. So well done. And Fozzie, like when he's trying to convince Kermit that it's like a jet exhaust. <laughs> and he's like, and here comes another one. <laughs> Sound effects and holding Kermit. It's it still, weird. it works somehow too. He believed it's it. It's just them just playing shtick. And I apparently, it was one of the only Muppet episodes apparently to have in the intro segment to not cut to the Sattler and Waldorf, but instead it's um, Kermit saying something about turning the lights on um, or turning the lights mm. off, I guess. So I was like, that's like the only time that ever happens. So it's like a unique episode in that regard. Uh, well, music this week in this very solid music episode, Rocky Top, 
uh, first recorded by the Osborne brothers in 1967. Uh, there wasn't anything too interesting about this song, but I found something sort of uh, parallel. There was uh, the FBI had something called Operation Rocky Top uh, in, in, I think, the 70s and, and early 80s, which was an investigation into Tennessee local government and state legislatures. Mm. Uh, and they found a massive embezzlement scheme centered around illegal distribution of fundraising bingo licenses. Oh, my God. Where basically these people were being bribed to give out fundraising bingo licenses that people would then use to set up these bingo gambling dens. That's so random. <laughs> uh, yesterday when I was young, this was originally a French song. Written and first performed by former guest Charles Aznavar. Oh. And this was Roy Clark's only song to break top 40 on the pop charts. Wow. He did lots on the country charts, but this is the only one to break top 40 on pop. So originally it was Yesterday When I Was Young. <laughs> it had a completely different title. <laughs> okay, um, hey, of course. Uh, I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire, written in 1938, but it was actually not first recorded uh, for, until three years later by a guy named Harlan Leonard and his Rockets. Oh, because the version I know so well from Fallout is by the Ink Spots, and I thought they were earlier than 38, so that's impressive. Uh, Sally was a good old girl written by Hank Cochran, who was a major songwriter for a lot of uh, bluegrass and country singers, including Patsy Cline. And this hit number 20 on the Billboard country music charts. And it was Cochran's biggest hit. Hmm. Uh, Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week's episode? I mean, I think we might be in agreement, but uh, I think it's the pigs in space levers moment where they're pulling up different Muppets from the levers every every time. It was pretty impressive. The timing was impressive. The speed at which they switched them out was impressive for it all being, for the most part, single shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, that was what I put to the coordination is impressive. Yeah, very impressive. And to have a new puppet come down up every time is really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, German, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series? Well, that would be by any other name, which is the name of the episode. So it's no other name, but that one. And the Enterprise <laughs> responds to a distress call from an uncharted planet, which always ends well. That's like the start of a ton of episodes. It's probably fine. Yeah, it's fine. So the landing party goes down to investigate with Kirk, Spock, Bones, and two red shirts. And they quickly find human-seeming Rojan and Kalinda who paralyze them with their belt buckles. That's <laughs> really cool. Uh, they tell them that they are Kelvins from the Andromeda galaxy, and they have come to the Milky Way to find suitable planets to relocate the rest of their species, which are still back home. Uh, and their ship was destroyed on the journey here, so they must commandeer the Enterprise to make the return trip home and tell their overlords that the Milky Way galaxy is ripe for conquering. And Kirk tries to tell them that they can just work together with the Federation to find them a new home. But they're like, no, we must only conquer because we're Kelvins. So three other Kelvins transport up to the Enterprise and quickly take it over by paralyzing everyone with their belt buckles. And Rojan then confines the landing party to a cave on the planet they're on. But they try to escape unsuccessfully, to which Rojan then punishes Kirk for his attempt by showing that he can turn people into D20 dice with his belt buckle. Which is basically what they look like. They're like spongy looking D20 dice. Um, and he says it can be reversible, um, but he crushes one of the dice, therefore killing one of the red shirts. And then he turns the other one back into a human again. So he scares Kirk and shows this power, you know, and Kirk's obviously pissed off that he killed one of his people. Um, and when Spock was trying to escape the cave earlier, he had partially mind melded with Kalinda, one of the Kelvins. 
And through this, he discovers that they are actually huge aliens with tons of tentacles, but they have just taken human forms. They could pilot the local vessels that are in this area. And they're like 10 foot tall in the normal form. So they heard from the Kelvins also that there's some device that is powering all of their belt buckles and bones thinks that he may be able to use some of the medical equipment on the ship to neutralize it. So they fake Spock being sick. He goes into like a little self-induced coma to be allowed to take him up to the Enterprise and seek treatment, which, you know, the old, oh, he's hurt uh, thing, which they use a lot in the show, too. <laughs> and after explaining to Kalinda, the female uh, Kelvin, what a flower is, he, uh, Kirk and the rest of the Kelvins go up to the transport to the Enterprise as well. And Rojan directs Kirk and his crew to fly back to their home planet and the other galaxy uh, with new revisions that they've made to the Enterprise, which will make them go a lot faster. So it'll only take 300 years to get back to their planet through multiple generations. And when Scotty and Spock secretly discover the power supply for the belt buckles, they find out that it's encased in this impervious metal so they can't shut it down. So as a last resort, they rig the ship so they can blow it up as it reaches the galactic barrier, which has a lot of negative energy. So that conflicting with the ship will make this big explosion and they'll all die uh, by taking the Kelvins with them. But once they arrive at the barrier, Kirk can't go through with the plan and he can't blow up the ship, which is good because Rojan apparently knew about the plan all along and was just letting it see how well it would play out. But once across the barrier, Rojan says, we don't need this crew anymore. We can just have the essential personnel. So he reduces everyone in the crew to in those little D20 sponges, except for Kirk, Spock, Bones and Scotty, because they're essential to, you know, operate the ship and that kind of thing. So discussing amongst themselves, Kirk, Bones and Scotty and Spock figure out that the Kelvins were purely logical beings in their previous form with uh, no senses of touch, taste or smell because they're unnecessary and they didn't have any emotions. But now in these human bodies, they may be weak against emotional and physical stimuli, at least enough to distract them for a while. So Scotty, in a hilarious collection of scenes, gets one of them drunk. Uh, Bones gets one of them really agitated with, like, giving him tons of drugs to stimulate him too much. And then Kirk tries to seduce Kalinda, which in turn will make Rojan jealous. And then Spock just kind of spurns that on by showing how illogical Rojan's being and pissing him off even more. And eventually, Rojan gets so angry that he gets into a physical fight with Kirk. So Kirk's finally able to convince him through the fighting that Rojan's acting like a human now with all this jealousy. And that if he were to make the 300-year trip back to Kelvin, his descendants would eventually be unrecognizable to his Kelvin people. And they would just think they're inferior. So he convinces uh, Rojan to go through with, um, with his remaining Kelvin people to just settle somewhere in the Milky Way galaxy. And he agrees. And uh, they all live happily ever after. Or so they think. So that is the end of the uh, by any other name. What do you think of this episode, Steve? So uh, things I liked. I liked that there's so many episodes that start with them encountering something unexpected. And it seems like magic. <laughs> and they figure out that it's technology. And it was so refreshing for it to just start and be like, no, they have superior technology. And they even tell them that. Yeah. They have a button. <laughs> they have a button they hit. You get to watch them do it. So there was something really refreshing about not having this like fake mystery. That's true. It's never magic ever. Uh, yeah. Sometimes like just advanced, like in real life. It's never magic. It can be like an advanced mental ability sometimes like telepathy, but it's still scientifically explained and it's not magic. Right. Yeah. Uh, I like that. They set the stakes very early. Uh, I think that the line was you humans must face the end of your existence as you know it. Bum, bum, bum. Like, right. And so they, they set the stakes very early and they were very high. 
Um, and I did love that they literally admitted via a line that they were pulling the same escape gag with Spock. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Remember when we escaped and you were able to summon it a guard? Think you can do it again? And I was like, oh, okay, at least they're addressing the fact that, they did, that they've done this shtick. Yeah, and they said apparently it's very rare in original series for them to call back to any episode. And they did it twice this episode because they mentioned that they've been to the Galactic Barrier before. And that was from a previous episode. And mentioning that he did that trick before with through the, the gate. Uh, that they, yeah, so that's pretty cool. They mentioned some callbacks. Uh, I also like that each, uh, a lot of members of the crew got to shine individually in a way that they don't, because when they all broke up to try to like distract yeah, I like the that Kelvins, too. we got to see Scotty's tactics and bones tactics. We got to see them solo, which is just not something we get to see that. Often. And showing off their individual skills and skill sets. Yeah, that's cool. Um, things that I maybe disliked, and this is uh, maybe an overarching issue that this episode really highlighted, which is it feels like most of Vulcan culture is something they made up to solve one problem in one episode. <laughs> Meaning what? <laughs> so like the super Vulcan coma. Ah, uh-huh, yes. That that suddenly Spock can very conveniently go into and wake up at a time of his choosing. Like he literally sets an internal half hour <laughs> alarm to wake up from this super coma. Um and it's just funny that they just introduced this to solve this one problem, this one episode, and we will never see it again. Well, it's weird watching this now because that's kind of part of a lot of Vulcan culture going forward. So I think that maybe from this episode, they must have built from that because that goes through the, all of the other series that they have extreme abilities with their body, um, controlling their mind and, and meditation's a huge thing in Vulcan culture. But, right, right, like but I'm not said, talking about those other things. Talk about this series we're right. watching right now. So it's weird it's like, watching it now because like, oh, yeah, of course he can do that. I know he can do that. But yeah, this would be the first time it's like, well, that seems a little too easy. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. So like the flip side of your coin of like, yeah, they established that you can do it again. It's it's the other side of that coin, which is like, and then they made something up. <laughs> um, there was just some clumsy writing this episode that may have been them trying to fill time or not knowing how to transition. The best example of which is when Spock and Scotty are looking at the device on the Enterprise and Spock's talking about like it's it runs off, uh, off negative energy and we positive we charge negative ions and we can blah, blah, blah. And then him and Scotty go down a ladder and run into Kirk, and then he gives the exact same spiel to Kirk 20 seconds later. <laughs> That's true. And we have to listen to it two times. I was like, what? There was not a way to combine this moment? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and the thing that I thought was shallow, and I know that this is just their bit, everybody came up with something clever. Like, Scotty got the guy drunk after he figured out that he liked food. And uh, Bones got the guy like really fixated on his health and these shots and tests. <laughs> yeah. And Kirk was like, I'm going to solve this with my penis <laughs> and went and seduced the woman. But it was just so goofy. That, well, that, like Kirk didn't get something creative. Now, I know that it was really about the jealousy and making the guy. Well, no, hold on a second, because this had one of my favorite moments because it addresses that at first, at least because he, he's, he's saying these things to her and she's like. Oh, you're trying to seduce me. And then she basically cock blocks him and his dumbfound. They stay on his dumbfounded face for like 10 seconds because he's so shocked that it didn't work. And he's just like, what? And I was laughing hysterically at that because and he's about to walk out. He's like, well, apparently I have nothing to do here. And he walk, he's about to walk out. 
But then he starts to realize that it actually kind of did work. So you're right. It eventually does work. But I thought they did a really great job there of, of like kind of like throwing a wrench in the works and it wasn't working suddenly. <laughs> that never happened to him before. <laughs> but then it but then it did but, work. But so. then it did. Yeah, they kind of cheapened <laughs> it by making it not. Yeah, it did work eventually. <laughs> um, so that just felt a little bit. It felt like Kirk could have done something better. That's true. He could have. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just misreading it, but that, that's how I felt. But overall, uh, a pretty positive episode, not super lame, good, clear villains, good, clear resolve. I would say that I like the the um, guest actors were good. The main commander guy was a very strong actor, I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the, on the negative side, I will say, in my opinion, Rojan, the commander, comes around too fast at the end. Like in that scene. It should have been too quick. Yeah. Like he, even in that fight, it could have been happening gradually, but then it suddenly is like fight, 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 fight. And then suddenly snap, he's, he's come around and I'm like, Ugh. it was just really kind of jarring. So that was, that was like the only moment that really took me out of the episode was that little part there. But, but yeah, otherwise pretty solid. Um, I don't know if it's as solid as the Roy Clark episode, but uh, what do you think? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe a little bit more middling low than the middling highness of the Roy Clark episode. I agree with that. Yeah. But neither of them were the best or the worst. Yeah. It was entertaining. Both of them in that regard. So uh, we got some trivia from this episode, some fun stuff. Um, Jerome Bixby, which sounds really familiar. I think he's a novelist, but he also wrote an original script for this episode. Um, originally, the Kelvins were then called the Devenians. Um, originally, they were going to execute 10 Enterprise crew members by opening the shuttle bay doors and letting them get sucked out into space. And then mm. Kirk, Kirk was put through hellish torture and then crew members were chosen to mate with each other. And Kirk was paired with Yeoman Leslie Thompson, who was featured in this episode, the one who dies, um, to eventually breed slaves for the Kelvins. And NBC objected to all of this, which has led uh, the producer to rewrite the entire episode, basically. And uh yeah. And they also said that it was too similar to the cage if they were made to be breeded for uh, the purposes of being like in a zoo, basically. And uh, this is kind of fun. The Kelvin word for flower is sashir, as she says in the episode. She's like, oh, yeah. we call those things sashir. And apparently actress Sashir Zameda of Saturday Night Live, she was actually named after that from her Trek loving parents, which I was I always thought she had an unusual name, Sashir Zameda. Um, but yeah, she was actually named after that flower from this one episode, which is pretty cool. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. It's really small reference. It's pretty neat. Um, the basis of this episode can be found in Gene Roddenberry's first ever produced science fiction script, Chevron Hall of Stars, the secret weapon of 117 from 1956. And the episode featured a pair of aliens, the male who was played by Ricardo Montalban, who would later play Khan. And they disguise themselves as humans on Earth to get and eventually get overwhelmed by the sensations and experiences of their new host bodies and decide to remain human. So he wrote a script of this a while back and it had Ricardo Montalban in it, which is pretty cool. Hmm. And the guy that Scotty gets drunk, his character's name, the Kelvin, is Tomar, which in Spanish means to drink. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Self-fulfilling. And uh, finally, the the red shirt that dies in the beginning, Yeoman Leslie Thompson, she has the dubious distinction of being the only female red shirt to ever die in the Star Trek original series. So that's pretty cool. Good for her. Claim to fame. (laughs) (laughs) So you got any Trek connection, Muppet connections? Oh, boy. Well, in 1970, there was a John Wayne television tribute to the USA called Swing Out, Sweet Land. This featured appearances and performances from both William Shatner and Roy Clark. 
Oh, wow. What are the chances? Uh, Dot Records, which was around from about 1950 to 1977, released albums for both Roy Clark and Leonard Nimoy. I probably have one of those. <laughs> uh, and then Barbara Boucher, who played Kalinda, had a small role in Gangs of New York, starring Leo DiCaprio. Oh. And in The Muppets, the most recent show, there's a whole episode where Piggy's agent uh, spends the episode trying to get her a date with Leo. Well, there you go. <laughs> that was the best I could do. She was gorgeous, too. That's this actress. Oh, yeah. Good looking woman. So we got some These simil- are the same episode. They're right? the same episode. I mean, we have some <laughs> very similar things here. Um, first of all, Piggy is not too excited about spending an eternity with Strange Pork when he mentions that in the beginning of that sketch. Just as the female alien doesn't necessarily want to spend eternity with the commander alien uh, Rojan while Kirk is digging her. You know, it's kind of similar. <laughs> That's fair. No, that's fair. Uh, both feature uh, the, an episode where they're running with less crew than usual. Mm-hmm. The Muppet Show with Fozzie sending all the crew away and the Enterprise when the crew is turned into complex shapes. I actually had that same thing. Kermit yells at Fozzie for sending the stagehands away just as Kirk is mad at the commander for turning his crew into D20s. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I've got some opposite similarities. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. What does that mean? I, I, I don't know. I really struggled with this episode. <laughs> uh, one features uh, a group of singers say, saying, I don't want to set the world on fire. Whereas the Kelvins, all they want to do is set the world on fire by conquering it. Fair, fair enough. Uh, Roy Clark says he misses his old farm. So Kermit tries to make him feel at home with animals, but Clark just wants to eat them just as the aliens miss their home. And Kirk says he can find them a home, but the aliens just want to conquer them. <laughs> Same episode. Okay. A similar, similar note. Uh, Roy Clark reminisces about his love of the great outdoors in the open air and Rocky Top. And the Kelvins talk about how much they hate open air and open space. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I see what you're going with here. Yeah, that's a kind of a similar see, thing. Like a yeah. similarity. Opposite. Yeah, yeah. It, it works. <laughs> Was that your last one? Yeah, that's it. Oh, weird. Okay. Oh, what's that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. Okay, it's the part of the episode where we transport one character to one episode and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? First, I'm going to bring over Julius Strange Pork from the Swine Trek and have him replace Spock, devising a complex plan to get rid of the Kelvins that mostly uh, comes from him pulling different levers and trying to eject them from the show. <laughs> it might work. <laughs> um, I'm going to have all of the Kelvins come over to take over as the new crew for the Muppet Show because they are no nonsense and they run a tight ship. <laughs> But we are here to conquer, (laughs) raise the curtain, but eventually their human emotions will take over and they'll be so enraptured by the Muppet show. They'll make a horrible crew. So it's going to be kind of fun all around. Uh, I've got Trek to Muppets this week, bringing over the drunk Kelvin and putting him on the uh, motorized pogo stick to stimulate and distract him. Oh, he'll be stimulated. Um, I'm going to have Roy Clark to come over to take the place of Rojan, the Kelvin commander, because he'd be all folksy about taking over the Milky Way galaxy. And we'll just we'll just let him do it because, you know, he's a nice guy and he's got kind eyes. (laughs) He's got kind eyes. That's right. (laughs) So I guess that brings us to the end of episode 52 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet show with special guest Gilda Radner. Yeah. An original series episode, The Omega Glory. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. 
Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 